I'm uh, privileged to welcome you and honored to speak to you today on the last Sunday of 2020. That is so hard to believe. Sammy and I were talking the other day about how at the beginning of 2020, everything was, you know, fairly normal until quarantine hit and all of that kind of stuff. And then, oh, it went so slow. And uh, some people joked it seemed like April had about 150 days in it. And then by the time we got into summer, uh, everything started kind of speeding up. And it seems like this fall and the holiday season has just flown by. And here we are, like we have so many other times before, we find ourselves at the end of another year. And some years kind of make sense, and some years go along with the plan, and then other years are just so bizarre and so strange and so many things happen that we never really anticipated and this would be one of those years and now we find ourselves I mean as for all practical purposes 2020 is over now I think it, it's kind of good to look back remember reminisce a little bit appreciate some things um, but at the same time think about this if Romans chapter 8 is true, and by the way it is, then it means that all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. Uh, how does all of the confusion and the grief and the loss, all of those kind of things work together for good? I don't know. I don't know. We don't see the uh, whole picture yet. And so uh, some things we're just going to have to wait on. The old timers understood that and they were far more patient than we were. And they would sing the hymn, we'll understand it better by and by. And they were content to wait by and by until they could really uh, have the Lord put it all together for them. Uh, we like instant results. And unfortunately, there's no Wikipedia for the plan of God. We just don't know some things. Deuteronomy 29, 29, secret things belong to the Lord. But uh, there are things he has revealed to us. And I think what we need to do is instead of obsessing over the things we're never going to know, or at least in this life we're not going to know, or maybe even for the near future we won't know. Some things do make themselves uh, known in maybe a year or months, sometimes decades. Uh, some things we'll just have to wait until we get to heaven to figure it out. So what are we going to do? Obsess over those things? Or maybe we could focus on what we do know, what God has revealed and what he has told us and taught us. And maybe uh, there's a lesson to be learned. My dad uh, used to drive me crazy when I was a kid because something would happen, something would go wrong or I would get hurt or I would do something stupid. And uh, there was, I knew, coming a point where he was going to say, well, did you learn anything? And if I, you know, were to say, yeah, I learned something, then he said, good. Then it was a cheap mistake. It was worth it. And that's how he put things into perspective. Uh, did you learn anything? Well, I think that that is a, a fatherly thing to say. That's a good question. And I think the Heavenly Father is probably asking us the same question. You've been through 2020, and uh, it was a rough year. Did you learn anything? 
And some people are thinking with the change of the calendar, I can't wait until 2020 is over. Uh, maybe you ought to stop and think about that just a little bit. 2021 might be worse. Could always get worse, couldn't it? Now, maybe it will be better. Hopefully, it'll be better. We pray it'll be better. But maybe not because a lot of the stuff we're going through right now doesn't uh, pay attention to the calendar, does it? What we've got to do is focus on something that is going to give us joy, purpose, hope, and meaning for now. Well, we're going to attempt to do that today. Now, when I say attempt... That's no reflection upon the Lord and what he says because his word is perfectly clear. Uh, the problem is we don't always understand his word. We don't always get it. And you uh, also have the limitation of a very poor communicator here in me. Uh, sometimes I don't express it the way that it ought to be and needs to be expressed. But we'll do our best on all of this. And we'll try to look at some things and ask the question or answer the question, what uh, have we learned? And maybe there's another thing we need to think about too. 2020 has changed us. We are not the same and we will not be the same after all of this is over. Now the question is, what kind of change have we experienced? Good change? Some changes are good. Some changes are very good. And some changes are detrimental. And so we want to make sure we're changing for the better. So we've got four truths we're going to look at out of 1 Timothy chapter 1. And we're going to begin reading at verse 15. And they kind of tie into what we've just celebrated. They tie into Christmas, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, his incarnation, his putting on a flesh. And these things will keep us focused, joyful, and uh, moving forward. Okay, so let's get into the scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Go to verse 15 and follow along in your copy of God's word. The apostle Paul says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. Translation, you better pay attention to this. That Christ Jesus came into the world. That's Christmas. That's the incarnation. Here's the purpose, to save sinners. And then he says something very strange for an apostle, of whom I am chief. However, verse 16, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who were going to believe in him for everlasting life. And then when he thinks about that, he just can't help but burst into praise. You ever done that? Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, this is really quite interesting to think that the apostle Paul would say that God saved me and God showed mercy to me in order that I might be an example and a testimony and a proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ for those who were coming after me. Okay, Let, Let's just stop and think. Maybe 
2020 and some of the hardship, some of the grief, some of the loss, some of the difficulties that uh, we all have faced, maybe they're not really so much about you. Maybe they're about children. Maybe they're about grandchildren. Maybe they are about younger believers. Maybe they're about the people who are going to follow after you. And God is using you and using me as an example to show himself and to show his ways to somebody else. Well, I sure hope he can do that in us, don't you? Wouldn't that be nice to know that with, with everything that seemed to be just so random and jumbled and confusing and all of that kind of uh, uh, whatever adjectives we might use, wouldn't it be nice to know that from God's perspective in heaven, he said, I'm going to stir things up. I'm going to mix them up and mess them up. And then I'm going to put you right in the middle of this whirlpool of confusion because I want to use you as an example to people who are coming along later. Someone asked me, do you think things could possibly get any worse? And um, I had to kind of laugh. Yeah, I think they can get kind of worse. I think they can get a lot worse. I think during the tribulation period, it's going to be so much worse than anything that we could fathom, even in the times we're living in now. Uh, and there are going to be people living through that. I don't know when that's going to be because I don't know when the Lord's going to return for us and usher in that time. But if it's not for another 50 years, let's say, then um, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say there's a, a really good chance I'm not going to be here for that. Now, not only because I'm going out in the rapture, but I won't live that long, right? And, and some of you, same way. We're going to die. We have a certain amount of time that we're going to live. And there are going to be people that are going to live on after us. So what are we doing for them and how are we living and thinking and ordering our life during these times in order to positively impact people who are coming on behind us? That's a fair question, isn't it? Fair question. So what do these verses tell us? Well, here are the four things. Number one. We want to make sure we understand that the story of Jesus is absolutely true and real. This is, Paul said, a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. It's not a fairy tale. This is not some kind of a, a myth that we can gain some truth out of, but it didn't really happen, you know? And uh, this is something that absolutely happened. There were shepherds. There was a manger. There was a stable. There was a star. There were wise men. There was a Mary. There was a Joseph. And above all, there was a Jesus. And Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. What does that tell us about Jesus? Well, he was a human, but he wasn't a normal human, was he? Fully human, every bit, 100% human. And yet he was different because he was able to save sinners. 
There were other people who died on crosses. Dying on a cross was not magical. It was not religious. It was not holy. It was not special. It was an awful, horrible, ugly way to die. It was the way criminals were executed back in the days of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, there were two others that were crucified, one on his right and one on his left, and the blood of those criminals did absolutely nothing for anyone, not even themselves. You know, when we think about Jesus dying as a substitute on the cross, we've got to get past the physical cross and the physical suffering of that. He was our substitute spiritually because God the Father was punishing him for our sins. Okay? And that's something that you couldn't do for yourself. If you had died on the cross, you would have died just like the thieves died and just like the unregenerate thief died and went to hell, it would have done nothing for you. Jesus had to die on the cross, and Jesus had to take our sin on the cross, our punishment. Now, how in the world could he do that? How in the world could he be on the cross for three hours and then say, it is finished, and then be done? He gave up his spirit, right? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he was done, and everybody was shocked that he died so soon. Well, there wasn't any point in hanging around once the price had been paid. That was the purpose for him to come, to pay the price for the sins of those who would believe. And once that's done, time to go home. So when Jesus did that, he did that as only the infinite Son of God could do. In his body, he was limited. He had to have blood. He had to have oxygen. He had to have food. He had to have water. All of those kind of things, just like you and I do. But in his spirit, Jesus was absolutely perfect. And he was also God in human flesh. And an infinite God was able to absorb the infinite wrath that the Father would have towards sin. And he was able to do in three hours what you would do in an eternity in hell. And this is why he came. And Paul said, this is a faithful saying. Now that's unique to Paul. Paul says that in the pastoral epistles. A faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. This is what everybody needs to know. This is what everybody on the planet needs to believe. This is what they all need to understand. This is the great commission, isn't it? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Why? It's a faithful saying. It's not just something that a, a fable that we can gain a little bit of good from. Uh, but it didn't really happen. It's not like that. It's faithful. It's true. Every bit of it is true. And it's worthy of all acceptance. Every Buddhist needs to hear this about Jesus and accept it and be converted. Every Hindu needs to hear it, accept it, and be converted. Every Baptist needs to hear it, accept it, and be converted. It's a faithful saying, and it's worthy of all acceptance. In fact, we might even go on and say this, it's worthy of your acceptance. Have you accepted this, and have you put your faith in this? 
faithful, true, and it's timeless. It's an intergenerational thing. It wasn't just good for the days of Paul. It's good for these days. And it will be good for the times to come and the generations to come after you and after me. It's a worthy, true, it's valuable, we might translate it. And everyone, everyone should embrace it. So that's the first point. When we look at the times in which we live, everything comes together and everything fits together with the redemptive plan and purpose of God. The story of Jesus is not like Santa Claus. It is absolutely true and it is real. Secondly, the central purpose of Jesus is the salvation of sinners. That's what he says. That Jesus, pardon me, that Christ Jesus came into the world. Okay, that happened when um, his conception, right? When he came out of heaven into Mary's womb. And then when he was laid in the manger and presented to the world. That he came into the world. Why did he do that? To save sinners. I um, get a little weary during the Christmas season when I watch some of these shows that have to do with Christmas and they purport to tell us what Christmas really is all about and they hardly, if ever, mention Jesus. It's about kindness. It's about love. It's about feeding the hungry. It's about all of those things which are wonderful things. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. But they miss it. They miss it. And uh, the whole purpose of it is Jesus came to save sinners. Now, why would the world that spends so much time, so much effort, and so much money on the celebration of Jesus Christ's birth, why would they skirt the issue and miss it so badly? Well, I think Paul nailed it for us because Jesus Christ came to save whom? Well, if we said people... You know, a lot of people in the world would smile and they would say, I don't believe it, but that's a nice sentiment. But when he says he came to save sinners, puts everything on a different level, doesn't it? You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Everybody that has ever been born except Jesus is a sinner. We have a sin nature and we live that out to one degree or another. Not everybody is as bad as they can be. Thank God for that. There is restraining grace and there is God's gift of a conscience and some people have a more tender conscience than others. Uh, Charles Manson probably didn't have much of a conscience. Timothy McVeigh, not much of a conscience. But there are people that live all around you who are every bit as depraved as they are and their conscience won't let them harm you or anyone else. They live a respectable life. We're thankful for that. We're thankful for laws and we're thankful for governments that enforce those laws. Romans chapter 13 says that these powers are put in place by God and that they are, uh, they don't, how does it put it? Um, they don't use the sword, capital punishment and other types of punishment, in vain toward evildoers. I mean, we're thankful for those kind of things, but none of those things change the heart. Uh, 
None of those things change the nature of human, human beings. And so Jesus Christ came into the world, this faithful saying, in order to save sinners. Now I wonder how often we forget that. Do we sometimes think that Jesus came into the world to make our lives easier, to make our lives better, to answer our prayers and give us all of the things on our Christmas list, our shopping list that Jesus is just, that's, that's what he's for? What, what is the purpose of Jesus coming into the world? Well, Paul nailed it for us, and this is something that you and I as believers had better understand. He has this one central purpose to save sinners, to save sinners. And we better have that on our minds too. That's the purpose that we have of the church. We, yes, we worship God, and yes, we teach the Bible, and yes, we fellowship together, and we could go on with a lot of other wonderful things. But we miss it if we don't ever think about the fact that you and I are here as ambassadors for Christ. You and I are here in order to carry out the great commission of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let that burn into your heart. If that's why Jesus came and that's his purpose. And then he says in John chapter 17, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. That's what our purpose is as well. To go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We ought, to have an, we ought to have an expectation of seeing people saved. An expectation of fruit. An expectation of living for the sake of the gospel. That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. So this is a literal Jesus who was a literal God. Who put on literal flesh to come literally to this earth. And he did it for the purpose of saving sinners. And by the way, he accomplished that purpose, and he is still doing so. It's an eternal purpose, and um, we are privileged to be a part of that. Every time you witness to somebody and you plant a seed, you're a part of the eternal purpose of God. Every time you water that seed, you're a part of the eternal purpose of God. If you ever have the privilege of leading someone to faith in Christ, you're a part of the eternal purpose and plan of God from before the foundation of the world. It's an amazing thing. Now thirdly, understand that every human, you, me, all of us, every human deserves to be condemned. Jesus Christ was the only one who was born perfectly and born without a sin nature. He's the only one who did not do anything to deserve hell. Even Adam and Eve, I know they weren't born, but uh, even they created and living in a perfect environment, what did they do? They sinned against God and uh, they uh, died spiritually and they passed on that spiritual death to all of us. So all of us deserve this because we all act out upon our sins. Now I want you to notice the next phrase of how Paul the Apostle saw himself. Now when I see Paul in my mind's eye, I see a great man. I see a man who was willing to do anything, go anywhere, suffer to any degree for the cause and the glory and the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, he said at one point, I endure all these things for the sake of the elect. You know, I'm not willing to do a whole lot. 
you're not willing to do a whole lot. There's always more we could do, probably a lot more that we could do. And yet Paul, think about all the things he went through for the sake of the elect. I think about a, a man who sat in a prison cell and wrote out portions of the New Testament under the inspiration of God. What would I be doing? Anything but that, probably. Whining, complaining, griping, um, you know, bitter and angry. I don't know. Paul, what is he doing? He goes to prison and we get Ephesians. and We get Philippians and Romans and, you know, books like that. What an amazing thing. When I think about the Apostle Paul, he never walked with Jesus. He was never on the Sea of Galilee. He was never uh, around or anything like that. He was the Apostle that was born out of season, he said. And yet, look what he did. He wrote most of the New Testament. And our theology, uh, it all makes sense. It all comes together so that whether you're talking to somebody who is a Hindu, Hindu in India, or whether you're talking to a Jew in a synagogue, it all comes together, and the Old and the New Testament, they fit together perfectly, and we see the redemptive plan of God and how it's by grace through faith. This is Paul. Okay, so Paul holds up a mirror to himself, and what does he say? This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And Paul saw himself in light of what he deserved, in, law, in light of where he came from. A very religious man, a very educated man, a scholarly man, and yet a man who was a blasphemer, a man who was a persecutor of early believers. And Paul looked at all of that and he said, mark me down as the chief the chief of sinners. Well, the truth of the matter is Paul was every bit as depraved as me. And I'm every bit as depraved as Paul. Now, he may have done worse things. He may have done more violent things and more blasphemous things than me or maybe you. But when God looks upon the heart, he sees us as the same. I just covered mine up a little better than Paul did or I refused to act on some things or maybe I was afraid of some things or maybe I was just more apathetic than Paul was. Paul deeply felt these kind of things. And so we might look at this and go, well, didn't all sin the same? Well, it is in one respect. God hates all sin. But let's also be clear, there's some sin he hates worse than others. Some sins are called abominations. You ever read that? There's some sin he hates worse than others. And Paul considered himself to be the worst. And uh, he says, Formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent of God. That's Paul. I like whenever anybody says, Well, you know, preacher, I just think I'm too bad to be saved. I say, Whoa, wait a minute. The chief's already been saved. And if there's room for the chief to be saved, if there's provision for the chief of sinners to be saved, you're not as bad as he is. There's room for you as well. Number four, you were saved to testify, glorify, and to exemplify. Um, you are a proclaimer, a witness. 
You are someone who brings glory to the Lord in whatever you do, whether you eat or whether you drink, you do all things to the glory of God. And you are also going through years like 2020 or others, or other situations. And why are you doing that? Because you are an example to other people. You are showing upcoming generations how to live, how to handle things. You are showing them how to press on to the mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ. You're leaving footprints for them. In one of the Psalms, it talks about going through a desert area in the valley of Baca. And it talks about digging wells. You know, I think really what our life ought to be as we walk through the desert of this earth, we ought to be leaving wells for the generations who are coming along behind us. There may not have been a well left for you. Maybe no one else thought to dig a well so you could stop and drink. Well, don't be like them. Be the kind of person that you stop, you dig a well, and you leave it for someone else so that their life is a little easier and a little better than yours is. Be an example to them on how to persevere, how to make it through, and how to do it with joy. See, that's what Paul says in 16. However, for this reason I obtained mercy. What was that, Paul? That in me Christ Jesus might show all long-suffering. Why did God save somebody like me, Paul said? Because Jesus wanted to show the extent of patience and mercy that he would show towards a sinner. And so he does it on the Apostle Paul, the chief of sinners. And then he says, as a pattern to those who were going to believe on him for everlasting life. Who are going to believe. Paul became the pattern, the example for the people like you and like me who were coming after him. So why did Paul go through all of that? Why was he allowed to do everything that he did? Why did he suffer the way that he suffered? Why did he persecute the way that he persecuted? I mean, all of it is a package deal. And Paul is saying, as the chief of sinners, I was saved to glorify and show the patience of God and also to be an example to those who come along after me. And so we follow his example. In fact, we're doing it now as we read his writings, aren't we? And we are to step in that line and in that vein to be like Paul was and to do it for other people. Paul was saved to show the pattern. All sinners are undeserving. All sinners are saved the same way, no matter how bad they are, they all come through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ by grace through faith, right? And the worst of those sinners has already been saved. So there's room at the cross for you. Hallelujah. And so we conclude because all of this points to the uniqueness of our God Search out any other God, any other deity, and any other religion, and you'll see someone there who is inadequate, who is unfaithful. Good night. Some of the Greek gods and goddesses, they were worse than Paul. And all religions give you a ladder, and they say, do your best and climb up. Christianity is unique because in it, it doesn't give you a ladder it has a God who comes to you 
and a God who pays the price for your sins, a God who loves and a God who forgives and a God who shows mercy through the sacrifice of his own son. No wonder Paul breaks out and he says, Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And what a fitting way to close out this last Sunday school lesson. May God receive the honor that he deserves through his people. And may 2020 be a pattern that is set so that in 2021 and in the years following, we too set an example of the faithfulness of God working in and through us that we can be a pattern to other people who believe. So I hope you had a Merry Christmas and it's my joy also to pray that you might have a glorious new year. And as you do that, may God be glorified in you. Happy New Year and thank you so much for taking time to tune in and listen. And thanks for everybody who has helped us to produce these and to put these out this year. It's been a great, great blessing and we pray that many people are being touched and strengthened by all of this. God bless you and thank you once again.